0: Just a heads up, today's episode doesn't get into anything graphic, but should be said that we do discuss some mature themes. We go collecting nuts in May, nuts in May, nuts in May. (laughs) 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 Brought it on yourselves. Everything well, would have come right if you'd only really left me alone. You me a madness who you're peering through the keyholes and beeping through the curtains. But now you will shut a it. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, a library podcast produced by the Community Library Network of North Idaho. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm Roxanne. And today we're talking about The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Yes, That Invisible Man. Yes. We are aware there is one by Ralph Ellison, which is very good, and you should read it. We are talking about H.G. Wells as part of our Halloween episodes. So excited. So excited. So we're talking about a couple of heavy hitter horror novels this week. Well, let's jump right into it. Mm-hmm. I'll start with a quick bio of H.G. Wells and Michael I know that you have some information as well, so feel free to cool. jump in. Yeah. Herbert George Wells was born in 1866 in a small town outside of London that's Kent. His father was a shopkeeper, and his mother was a housekeeper, or basically a maid. And little Herbert grew up in poverty, but he was a voracious reader. He did have to leave school at 14 when his father's business failed, and he became a draper's apprentice. And what's a draper, Michaela? A draper is someone who sells cloth and makes patterns, mm-hmm. like on an actual like mannequin, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. They take the designer's sketch and they turn it into an actual pattern. Yes, thank you. And he did this for a while, but he eventually won a scholarship to go back to school where he was able to study biology. And he was absolutely fascinated by Darwin's theory of evolution. Eventually, he would earn a Bachelor of Science in 1890. And he would start out as a writer of science essays. Eventually, he got a job teaching at a university. During this time, he did fall in love, and he got married to his cousin. Yeah. Isabel, (laughs) when he was 25. Then he immediately started cheating on her. Yep. So they were married for about three years, I think. And while he was teaching at the university, he fell in love with one of his students. Her name was Amy. And after divorcing his cousin Isabel, they eloped. Yeah. And they would be together until 1927 when Amy died. Right. He did also have a a large series of other romantic relationships with a number of women who, in a true Truman Capote-like fashion... He vaguely, or not so vaguely probably, put into his novels. Oh, really? Yes. I'd love to hear about that as we're talking about what he wrote. Yeah, it's, it's not really going to come up in, in The Invisible Man, but there's a, a socialite that he dated for quite some time who is not hidden at all in some of his other works. Really? Yeah. So he was quite the ladies' man. Mm Mm-hmm. He got around town. I mean, if you look at his photo, he has quite the handlebar mustache. Yes, he does. Right? Yeah. Now, by the time he was 29, he was able to be a full-time writer. And I can't think of any other writers, maybe you can, Michaela, with your English degree, who wrote so many hits (laughs) in the span of five years. Right. So his first novel is The Time Machine in 1895. That's his first novel, you guys. Right. Still famous today. Then hear this. <laughs> and followed by The Island of Dr. Moreau in 1896. The next year, he wrote The Invisible Man in 1897. And then coup de grace, he wrote The War of the Worlds in 1898. I could not believe that when I read it. No. He's a genius. That's actually an interesting thing about him is that he was so prolific That actually later in his life, he wrote so many political novels that had so little substance that people basically stopped reading him. Really? Yeah. So he's got all these great political and scientific ideas that he's putting into his novel, but unlike a lot of the other writers of the time who were publishing not for the masses, Mm -hmm. H.G. Wells was specifically publishing to, like, give it to people, to put it out in the masses. He was publishing in serials. So he was was popular right away. Yeah. And because of that, he actually ended up kind of bringing about his own downfall because he put out so much stuff that it basically, at the end of his career, turned into trash that nobody read. So it was just a glut. Yeah, just too much stuff. What would be a current analogy to that? Stephen King? Would you say (laughs) Stephen King? (laughs) I would say Stephen King. I mean, every once in a while he has a really good hit, obviously, but... He's so prolific. Yes. James Patterson, same thing. Mm -hmm. Too much stuff. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I think you were touching on this, but he wrote these really famous science fiction novels. He's been called the Shakespeare of science fiction. And then he stopped writing science fiction novels. Mm -hmm. So around the early 1900s, then he started writing humorous popular novels. So I think it's what you're talking about about mm-hmm. lower middle class life. So this was different because normal people didn't really have novels written about them. Right. It's you're the talking upstairs, people. downstairs. Totally. And so either it's like you'd read novels about people in poverty and then getting rich. We wouldn't really learn about blue collar workers. Yeah. And then World War One happened, and it, and it jaded him like the rest of the generation. And yeah, he just sort of moved away from everything he'd been writing before. So why do you think it is that he only had those first famous? Novels. I think because that's where he really hit his stride as an author. He's really good at the science fiction. A lot of people view him as the godfather of science fiction Mm -hmm. because there's actually a law named after him. Yeah, tell me about this law. It's a literary device used by many, many authors. It's called Wells' Law, and Wells with an apostrophe S, but it's too hard to say. So Wells' Law, which is a science fiction trope where you have a single instance of something uncanny or extraordinary. And then the rest of the novel deals with the mundane circumstances of life. For instance, in this book, there's an invisible man, but nothing else in the novel is fantastic. There's no magic. There's no other sorts of scientific discovery going on. Right. There's no extraneous details. It's just the one extraordinary fact of this invisible man living out his day among the drivels of society. It, it makes his books as credible as humanly possible without giving up like that futuristic sort of play of the, the fantasy or sci-fi novel. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes to suspension of disbelief, right? You're able to believe there's an invisible man because everything else around him is so normal and so detailed. And the people in the novel are acting as a normal person would right? encountering something extraordinary. Yeah. It's been used a lot by a lot of different people Sci fi authors that you'll see throughout the ages. And Wells himself later on wrote a book where he, in the introduction, he kind of explained Wells's law to everybody, which Hmm. is kind of funny. But he says, as soon as the magic trick has been done, the whole business of the fantasy writer, and he called it fantasy because sci fi wasn't a thing, just so you know. Okay. The whole business of the fantasy writer is to keep everything else human and real. Touches of prosaic detail are imperative and a rigorous adherence to the hypothesis. Any extra fantasy outside the cardinal assumption immediately gives a touch of irresponsible silliness to the invention. <laughs> well, we can't have that. <laughs> Not even a little bit. With no silliness. No. This uh, this led to Joseph Conrad, who was a big fan of H.G. Wells, dubbing him a realist of the fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he was nominated for the Nobel Prize in literature, four times. And another fun fact about him, he was diabetic and Mm -hmm. he co-founded the charity, the Diabetic Association in 1934, which still exists today. Yeah. It's now called Diabetes UK. Another fun fact, there's an impact crater on Mars named after H.G. Wells. Really? Yeah. Well, he wrote the War of the Worlds, which of course we could do, we should do an entire entire (laughs) cast (laughs) about. Mark Howard. Yeah. He's responsible for what we think of as Martians. Mm-hmm. He is very influential also to Ray Bradbury, who is maybe my favorite uh, short story author of all time. Mm. The Martian Chronicles, if you have not read it, is an amazing book. I haven't. Oh. You are in for such a treat. It All is right. so good. <laughs> so continuing on with his life, Michaela, do you have any more information? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about him in World War One. Now World War II rolls around and he is is pretty politically active during World War Two. He was a socialist, right? Yes, absolutely. So he wrote against the German political scene between World War One and World War II, leading up to World War II. And his books were actually some of the books burned by the Nazi youth in 1933. Susan Orleans, in her book, The Library Book, that came out maybe two years ago, talks about this exact burning and uh, talks about how she decided, to in, her, in the course of her research, to burn a book just to see how it felt. Oh. And she burnt Fahrenheit 451, which, again, Ray Bradbury. Right. Um, and just said how like deeply deeply upsetting it was to her to burn like such a crazy work. She said it was very emotionally disturbing. Anyway, so HG Wells's books are burned by the Nazi youth in 1933. The SS wrote the Black Book, which was a list of people that they were going to arrest during a planned British invasion that never actually happened, but later historians and scholars and the army probably found their their list of the black book and H.G. Wells was on it. Wow. And he also was um, in charge of the Poets, Essays and novelist International Group. And uh, he was in charge of expelling the P.E. It's called Penn Poets, Essays and Novelists, the Penn German Group from the Penn International Group because they refused to admit non-Aryans to the group, So he was like, no thank you, German Penn, you're out. <laughs> and last no bigots thing. allowed. Exactly. Last thing about this, I just thought this was so fascinating. The last thing about this is, I guess going actually back to, to World War One, that during World War One, he signed what they called the Author's Declaration, which declared that Britain could not have refused to go to war without dishonor, along with Rudyard Kipling... Thomas Hardy and Arthur Conan Doyle. Wow. A lot of big names. It's crazy to imagine that they were maybe all in the same room. Yeah. Or just like friends. Knew each other. Yeah. I would love to be friends with Arthur Conan Doyle. Like, so hard. Yeah. Especially... (laughs) Uh, When he was interested in spiritualism, which is fascinating. Weird guy. Yeah. We need to talk about him sometime. Reading a really amazing book right now called The Witch of Lime Street. And it's about Arthur Conan Doyle and like joining forces with Houdini. It's a nonfiction book. Cool. And they would like discuss spiritualism and whether or not it was real. And oh, it's a good book. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. I kind of love that. When did he die? He died in... 1946, so just after World War II, mm-hmm. and died in kind of relative obscurity. He was 79, so he did live to be old, mm-hmm. but yeah, he died in obscurity. He didn't enjoy the notoriety of his early days. Um, <laughs> Kind of sounds like Fitzgerald. Yeah, a little bit, right? Like you have a really upward trajectory and then mm-hmm. just a steep fall off a long cliff. Right. Well, yeah. Because with Fitzgerald, it was like nobody wants to read about floppers in the Depression. Except us now. Do you know what brought H.G. Wells back into popularity? I don't. I don't either. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I wonder if it was the movies made from his books because it's very possible. And we're going to talk about the movie. But did you know that H. G. Wells had script rights, like the power to veto things Uh -uh. on the script of the 1933 famous movie? Like, no, doesn't it blow your mind? mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was able to say yay or nay on things. Like he was involved. That's kind of excellent. Yeah. And especially that early, that seems weird. I know, they seem like they're from such totally different eras, but... Well, think about this. This is (laughs) a guy who was born Mm -hmm. when TV wasn't even, like... The twinkle in someone's eye. Yeah. Radio wasn't even really a thing. Mm -hmm. Like this guy. They were still figuring out photography. Yeah. The novel was just becoming popular. Popular novel. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So it's kind of crazy that he lives through all of these technological inventions, like Mm -hmm. long enough to basically be the first person to write a book and then see it adapted for a technology that didn't exist when he wrote it. Mm Mm-hmm. Crazy. And he's a sci-fi writer. Yeah. Well, he often was credited with predicting the future. Oh, yeah. I, in his books. I mean, Atomic War, Intergalactic... Well, we don't know this yet, yeah, but... Like, intergalactic space travel. space travel. Um, lots and lots of things that he predicted way ahead of time. We <laughs> live in, like, such a weird time. And mm-hmm. he was writing prolifically and futuristically about a time that also probably seemed pretty pr- mm-hmm. futuristic to the people living in it. He did also write a bunch of... We didn't mention this yet. Discussion novels, which were basically novels that discussed gender relations in light of feminism and, like, new scientific developments that were going on. And he wrote a lot of nonfiction as well, including a very famous, like, history of the world that's, like, still used. Cool. Today. So I think that it's probable that science fiction, to him, sort of took a backseat, but he's still writing about scientific advancement, Mm -hmm. just not in quite the same way. It's just crazy that in the space of five years, he wrote some of the most famous sci-fi ever. Yeah. Let's talk about it. We're focusing on The Invisible Man today. The Invisible Man, written in 1897, subtitled A Grotesque Romance. Yeah, it's good. It's a quick read. It's very short. Mm -hmm. And it is about a man named Griffin. His last name's Griffin. What's his first name? He doesn't have a first name in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Griffin. And he shows up in this little village in Sussex, England, and he asks for a room and a fire. It's a snowy night and he appears as a man who's maybe been in a horrible accident. So his head is completely wrapped in bandages, he's wearing these dark glasses, mm-hmm. he's wearing gloves. You can't see an inch of him. Right. And the sort of comic relief tavern keeper, the innkeeper, Mrs. Hall, you know, she's just doing her duties and she says, "Can I take your coat?" and he's like, "No." He's basically <laughs> super rude and and aggro Mm -hmm. (laughs) about everything and he's like I just want to be left alone which I get as an introvert sometimes you need your alone time Mm -hmm. but this is a little town and one they're just trying to like bring him food and coffee
1: Mm -hmm. and he's
0: biting the heads off of everyone (laughs) yeah yeah maybe he's just really hangry I don't know Later in the book this would be he a is a different novel today. Yeah. Later in the book, he is talking to somebody. He's like, now that I've had some brandy and food, I can talk to you. Right. So <laughs> I think he is ruled by his appetite. Yeah, yeah, And he's like, I really need my luggage to come because I am a scientific investigator. Yeah. And the townspeople are like, what does that even mean? They're like, he investigates things. Exactly. <laughs> And, Michaela, you're right. It is this totally normal little country village. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's different is there is this man who appears, a stranger, they mm-hmm. call him. For most of the book. Yeah. And we find out pretty quickly that he has turned himself invisible. What? So How's he's that even just possible? Invisible. And <laughs> apparently he had been working on it for like five years or something to mm-hmm. see if he could do it. Yeah. He did it to a cat first. He did it to a cat first. Back before there were <laughs> restrictions about things yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, I also think it's funny that they say that before he turned himself invisible, he was an albino. He was like, it was easier because I'm albino. So I already was kind of see-through. <laughs> I love early sci-fi when they try and find like great explanations for stuff. And the way it says it came about is that... He figured out first, like, how to make his skin see-through, but he had to figure out how to make blood see-through. Yeah, that was, because, like, a big thing. Because if he bleeds, you can see his blood. Mm-hmm. And also, if he eats, you oh, can... You can see his food. It's like a science experiment. Yeah, you can see his food before Oof. it's... Digested. <laughs> Wear a jacket, sir. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder what would you do if you're invisible? Well, what this man does, <laughs> now that he's turned himself invisible, is <laughs> he robs people. Mm-hmm. So he robs the vicar and his wife. Yep. What else does he do? He wanted to be left alone to try to figure out the antidote. Right. And they wouldn't leave him alone. And then they find out he's invisible and he basically yeah. Runs amok on the village. Oh, yeah. He's irascible. They... Great word. Bother... Thank you. That's the only word I can use to describe (laughs) this book. He's so irascible. So he's there. He's trying to do stuff. They're like, hey, you owe us, like, rent, because obviously he hasn't been working, because he's invisible. Who would even know if he was at work? Yeah. He basically turns his little room at the end into a laboratory. Yeah. And so he finally gets so fed up with him, he, like, rips off his bandages, and he's like, is this what you wanted to see? (laughs) Is this real enough for you? (laughs) And then... And they all scream and they freak out. And yeah. and then he goes on a, a crime spree. He yeah. embarks on a life of crime. He kills a policeman who is trying to catch him, essentially. Mm-hmm. Then he finds an old friend from university and he's like, you are going to help me. <laughs> yeah. No choice. Yeah. So he says, you're going to... a request. You're going to give me food. You're going to keep me in here. Don't try to escape. I will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't try to tell anybody. I will kill you. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know... I'm going to kill you. Like, that's kind of how it goes. You're going to help me, and then I'm going to kill you. He's like, and I want brandy, and I want a cigar. And, <laughs> he's, and he's like, and I want pajamas and a dressing robe. Yeah. And, 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 and He always wants and, and. a fire. He likes to be cozy. Yeah. He he subscribes he's, to Higay. He's basically me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Irascible, loves food, needs warmth. Totally me. Yeah. I'm basically a bear. <laughs> So, yeah, so he's trying to get his his old friend Kemp to help. He's not even a friend. He's like, do you remember me from school? I was, like, like, in the grade yeah. below you. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to the freshmen. Yeah. He's like, well, guess what? I'm, I'm staying in your house now and you're going to yeah. help me. We're going to go on a crime spree together. Mm-hmm. And essentially it ends, the way that they finally catch him is that he's out causing mayhem and he's naked, mind you. I love how (laughs) he threatens people by like, I'll take off my clothes. It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. It is a funny book. Extremely funny. And really readable. You know, I think that people have an idea that books from the 1800s are going to be really dense and stuffy. Yeah. Or like, even for example, we're doing Frankenstein and while it's a wonderful, amazing book, it's dense and you have to really stuffy. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like the writing is incredibly modern. It's mm-hmm. an easy read. Very. Uh, I finished it in like a half a day. But I just think it's so funny because he's this really crappy guy. And he's like, I'll take my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, and with that, we saw his shirt come unbuttoned right. and but <laughs> flung across the room. It's Be- fine because it's very chaste. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you can't see <laughs> anything. you can see he's, <laughs> Yeah. But once he's invisible, then, yeah. then he can really cause mayhem because mm-hmm. you can't see him. You can't see me. Can't see me We're doing spoilers Because this is 150 years old If you haven't read it by now Yeah, spoiler alert Yeah How does it end? They basically pigpile him Yep, end of story They finally catch him By seeing his footsteps In the snow outside And essentially It's like when you see Two people kind of like Slap fighting <laughs> They're like kind of Punching the air until they hit him. Mm-hmm. And then once they are like, ah, okay, we got him, then they start sort of shooting the air. I think they hit him in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then they basically like pig pile him. You call it a pig pile, huh? What do you call it? A dog pile. Same thing. Yeah. No, it's just <laughs> yeah. colloquialisms, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, in Minnesota, we call it a cheese curd pile. No, you don't. No, we don't. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> No, so they basically dog pile, pig pile, whatever. That's how they bring him down. Yep. Then they end it the way that totally happened in real life. Is that that's all the people in the town can talk about for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. because this one unusual thing happened. Like today, if you go and stay <laughs> at the Arms Pub in Sussex and you talk to the bartender, he will talk your ear off about the time the Invisible Man was in town. And if you really give him a lot of money by drinking there, he might even show you. His books that he stole from the Invisible Man, oh. and that's yeah. it. That's yeah, that's the story. It's fun, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the structure of it because it's it is weird, right? Mm-hmm. The way that it's written, mm-hmm. it's written by obviously like a third person narrator, an omniscient narrator. Not exactly. It's like weird because it's like the narrator has gone and like gathered facts. From the different people, like, involved. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes he'll say, So-and-so said that this happened on the 19th of June. Like, So they don't say he was thinking... I don't think so. I'm just trying to think, like, you know, after the innkeeper... you know, encounters the invisible man. It's like, don't they say like he was thinking this and then he saw his friend and... It could be. Mostly what I remember is that like, for whatever reason, there is an unnamed investigative journalist Mm -hmm. going through this like years after the fact and just like placing out the facts for your enjoyment, Mm -hmm. which is really weird. There's a chapter that's, I mean, literally a page long where he's like, so-and-so was in the meadow thought he was all alone, and all of a sudden he heard a voice and he ran back to the village, scared. End of chapter. Like, that's hmm. a whole chapter. Yeah, <laughs> But it's so weird because this narrator, like, you never find out if it's someone who lived in the town, mm-hmm. if it's someone who's writing about this for, like, a historical novel like it's really weird it's a weird yeah. structure I don't know I, I thought it was interesting it's definitely worth reading I've never read anything else like it yeah it's a quick read it's an easy read it's fun it's a good example of modernists. so we're gonna talk mm. about Frankenstein which is a Victorian novel that kind of starts to get into the modernist period in our next episode yes This is an actual like modernist book, right? So it's rebelling against those sort of Victorian ideals, right? Flowery romanticism. Yes. This is a good example of a book that's really involved in like the power of human beings to create and shape their universe and do practical experiments and scientific knowledge and technology like ruling world instead of the Victorian man in harmony with nature. And this is like man dominates nature. Mm. So a lot of his books are like that. Hmm. And they're kind of on the on the forefront of that, on the cusp. Of, mm. Also, did H.G. Wells invent the concept of time travel? Basically, yeah. Cool. I mean, he's basically the first person to like write it down and have that be a popular idea that mm-hmm. was out there. I don't know if nobody ever thought about it before, right. but he's it was the first novelization. Yeah, the first guy to popularize it for sure. That's all I wanted to say is just that it's a really interesting novel on the forefront of the modernist era, which lasted hmm. for. Quite some time in the 1900s, when it's not necessarily sci-fi. What is a modernist style? Like how people talk in everyday life. Oh. Like what else defines modernism? Oh, um, mostly modernism is just defined by by new discovery, by man having some sort of control and agency over his own life and possibly the life of other people. Not, okay, e- even in a non-scientific way. Because wasn't uh, like the A Doll's House by Ibsen? Wasn't yeah. that one of the first modernist? plays. No, that was realism. I don't know. I have a hard time with the, there's a couple different things happening in the early 1900s and it's hard to separate them out. Yeah. Realism is what I was saying, like where you talk like real people talk. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. So that's a doll's house. Ibsen. What are other examples (laughs) of modernist works? Some other modernist books are like James Joyce, writing Ulysses, T.S. Eliot writing The Wasteland. Oh, so also experimental. Yes, yeah, a little bit experimental. Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Okay, some things. My last thing that I want to say about the book is to make himself invisible and to make the cat invisible, you can still see the uh, pupils of their eyes. That's the only part of them that you can see. They're kind of cloudy. yeah. And he gives some weird scientific reason in the book that I can't exactly explain to you because it's pseudoscientific. It's not even, like, real. And he, he made himself invisible by giving himself injections of different chemicals right. over the course of, like, a month. Right. And it has something to do with how everything reacts to the light. But the interesting thing is H.G. Wells seems to have, like, known what he was talking about loosely. Like, obviously, that's not mm-hmm. how the science Actually works out, but there are like many paragraphs talking about how light refracts. Yeah, and tons. He did his research about how light works. Yeah, but as early as 1913, a physicist named Yakov Perlman wrote a book called "Physics Can Be Fun," which I think is hilarious to think about. 1913? That in 1913. 1913. Hmm. And he talks I mean, he's about it. wrong. But yeah, right. Totally. Unless you're at uh, an amusement park in eighth grade. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> But in that book, he talks about how the method that Wells talks about to make someone invisible is actually should have made them blind because of the fact that like the rods and the cones in the back of their eyes are also now invisible and can't actually refract light. So you can't actually see anything. He, she wells is such a dummy <laughs> but the funny thing is that actually wells kind of seems like he was aware of this and that's why he keeps the pupils visible well actually yeah right well <laughs> <laughs> um nerd alert oh that's cool let's move on to the movie i'm super excited about uh this. So I know a lot of you might be the most familiar with the most recent, The Invisible Man, which came out in 2020, mm-hmm. right before the world ended, with Elizabeth Moss. We'll we'll touch on that, but yeah, we are focusing on the OG, the <laughs> 1933 that had script approval by H. G. Wells. Wow. I can't get over that. That's so crazy. Uh, oh my gosh, this is a fun movie. It's amazing. It holds up so well, you guys. I mean, special effects-wise, it looks better than a lot of the things I've seen in the last year. Really? I mean, and just... You know, watching any movies that use practical effects instead of CGI are fun. But mm-hmm. this truly is impressive. Yeah. I think it would have been shocking to watch it in the 30s, but mm-hmm. it's just fun to watch it now. Because the fun is figuring out how they did that or right. just knowing what skill they had in this. Right. And it's just so immersive. I was thinking about it the whole time in the back of my brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, how how did they do that in 1933? So I was just like very gripped by this movie it's great so 1933 this is part of the Universal Studios canon mm-hmm. of golden age of horror movies before they became B movies so the other movies in this canon are of course Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein uh, Creature in the Lagoon. Black Lagoon The Mummy Dracula of course okay. The Wolfman yes all those big uh, Bela Lugosi and Vincent Price and Boris Karloff and Boris Karloff all those guys they're famous movies All those still famous those. today yeah uh, and for really great reasons and this is a short movie it's an hour and 15 minutes oh yeah so over before you know it watch it <laughs> you can vacuum while you're watching it yeah so the Invisible Man is played by Claude Rains mm-hmm. and you might be familiar with him he is in Casablanca yep he plays like the inspector guy guy or something. Guy. Can't think of his name, but, uh, you know, the inspector guy, he's always kind of coming around tricks. And they picked him because Boris Karloff was becoming known as the famous monster guy, besides the guy who played Dracula. Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. The two of them were getting all of the roles, but they wanted Claude Rains because when he was in the war in World War One, mm-hmm. something happened where he injured his vocal cords. Oh. So I don't know if he inhaled gas or Probably. something injured his vocal cords. And so he has this really intense voice it's sort of gravelly but the most expressive voice you can think of Mm -hmm. and that's important because you don't see this person's face until the very end of the movie right in the movie it starts just like the book it's a little british town and you see this stranger struggling in the snow and he is covered in bandages and he has these dark glasses google it i'm sure you've seen this Mm -hmm. costume before right it's become iconic I also have a theory, and I haven't found any research to back this up, but I have a theory that Tim Burton stole his look or copied his look for the mad scientist in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Dr. Finkelstein's face, like in profile, looks exactly like Claude Rains in bandages in this movie. So that's my theory. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. Also, like it blew my mind when I realized that Edward Scissorhands is Frankenstein. What? Think about it. Dude. (laughs) Dude. Oh Are my you gosh. as shocked is when I realized that the artist flow rider is Florida. That's where he's from. No, because that <laughs> that doesn't seem shocking to me. <laughs> that blew my mind. Oh my god, man. Oh, oh man. Okay, that's a crazy fact. Thank yeah. you. So Claude Rains got it because he has this incredible voice. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's a scary voice. It is. It's like scary dad voice. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's mean. He's He's irascible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the biggest difference, not the biggest difference, but a big difference between the movie and the book is the guy in the book is a real jerk, mm-hmm. but in the movie, he is a megalomaniac yep. psychopath. Yep. Because the serum that he's injected himself with also has made him insane. And this right. is because they also mixed in plot points from this popular book that was called The Murderer Invisible by Philip Wiley. So they also made him a psychopath. That's really interesting. I thought it was interesting in the book that he just like is the way he is without like having to use madness as an excuse. He's just a jerk. He's just, yeah. He's he's not a nice guy. In this, I thought that, yeah, it was very fascinating that they had to have a reason for him to be a not nice guy. But he's also like an extra violent homicidal maniac. Yeah. But I don't know. It is funny because when you read the book it doesn't feel like there is sufficient explanation for sort of like his journey. What I also do love about the, I won't call him a monster. That's not really. No. When I did a lot of research on this, and by the way, there's this really wonderful video series called, and it sounds silly, but kill count on YouTube which sounds intense, but really they go through old horror movies and they like count how many people they killed, but they also really do deep dives. And they made the point that this is the only monster movie where the monster is actually the main character and he's like a first anti-hero because oh. you're kind of cheering for him. Oh yeah. Like you want to see like how much mayhem he can cause. Absolutely. I yeah. am on board for that. I want to say he's, yeah, he's definitely like one of the first anti-heroes that I can think of in popular cinema. Nice. I think mm-hmm. that that's probably accurate. Because he's the main character he's a bad guy but Right. you're like what else is good? And he <laughs> has a lot of fun. Yeah. So this is directed by James Whale who also directed Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and if you're interested in him there's a great movie called Gods and Monsters that came out in 99 starring Sir Ian McKellen. And it's really great. James Whale grew up in poverty in England as well. So he actually like imported, <laughs> he imported extras from a little town in England to, to make it feel more realistic and like sort of like his childhood. That's interesting. In this movie. So there's like a lot of like British country people huh. in the movie and it's real. <laughs> that's, that's I did not know that. <laughs> Yeah. But James Whale would say like, these are comedies and horror. Mm-hmm. So people will watch it and be like, oh, it was funny. It's like, he's like, yes, yes, yes I, I, was. <laughs> I made a comedy. <laughs> so Frankenstein, Brady Frankenstein, the Invisible Man, they're supposed to be funny. And yeah, Invisible Man's really funny. It, oh my gosh, it's great, you guys. He, he messes with people. Yep. For instance, takes off his <laughs> wrappings on his head. And that's the first time that you're like, oh my God, this is an amazing effect because mm-hmm. he's taking it off and- you can't tell. There's, no. there's nothing in between, right? You just see straight through his face mm-hmm. to the background. I mean, it's like chilling. It's so good. It's so good. It's like you have so much admiration for the special effects people. Mm-hmm. And we should because yeah. during the movie, they hand corrected 64,000 individual cells Yikes. of the movie to make it look perfect. Yeah. And that's why subsequent Invisible Man movies don't look as perfect perfect because mm-hmm. that was a lot of money and time put yeah, into it. huge budget. Mm-hmm. They do that, that invisible effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did it by layering multiple prints of film. So they would film mm-hmm. a scene once in like the regular way with Claude Rains actually in it. Then they would do a second filming draped with everything in black velvet mm-hmm. and Claude Rains would wear black tights and gloves and all of that yeah. stuff. So he'd wear all that and then maybe he'd have that pajama costume on right. top. Yeah. Anything that needed to be visible was actually invisible. Anything that needed to be invisible was black. Mm -hmm. It's early green screen. Yeah. And it's so cool because out of each of those, they made two prints, right? Mm -hmm. The normal print and a matte print for the regular and for the velvet covered one. And then they put all four prints together. And oh my gosh, it looks so good. And then touched up 64,000 million cells. Yeah. There is this one famous scene where you are looking at him taking off his head wrap in the mirror. Oh, it's and that so was good. the hardest one. So you're seeing him in the mirror, but you're also seeing the back of his head getting unwrapped. So that actually was the most difficult tech scene because they had to mix together four different prints mm-hmm. from different angles. Mm-hmm. And James Whale is, I didn't right. know anything about him before yeah. I started doing research. And now I'm a huge fan. He's, he's a true hero of cinema. Is what I'm discovering as I learn more he about it. He is. This. He's amazing. Yeah. Very openly gay in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so he lived his life with a husband. Mm-hmm. But that was, of course, like really hard in his career. And yeah, so he did that. eventually just retire mm-hmm. from it. But he... Well, that's upsetting. Yeah, and he took his own life in 1957. Okay, that's very I upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't finished Gods and Monsters, so I don't know Oh, that. okay. But James Boyle's amazing. Yeah. And a genius. I also like some of the the little touches he puts in this movie. Like, at the very beginning, in the credits, it lists the players as Claude Rains, and then in parentheses, the invisible mm-hmm. one, which is funny. At the end, uh, with the cast list, it shows it, and then it goes to the next screen, and it's showing the same cast list, and at the top it says, a good cast is worth repeating. It's just fun. Yeah. You can tell he enjoyed himself. Oh, for sure. It sounds like he was really funny. Mm-hmm. He also... Did that in The Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. And so. Frankenstein. It's in. Oh, good cast is worth repeating. Yeah, it's in all three of them. I think which it's I think is great. It's fun. <laughs> I think he'd be fun to hang out with, right? Do you know who else is in this? So, another difference is that he has a fiance. Oh, yeah. Just like in. I know we're making comparisons to Frankenstein that you haven't heard yet. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> but we'll, we'll do the same thing when we talk about Frankenstein. Is that there's always sort of like a fiance who's mm-hmm. worried about our main character? Yes. And so there's a a beautiful 1930s actress. Do you know who this was? I did, and then I forgot. So it's Gloria Stewart. That's right. Do you know why she's famous? No. She's the old lady in Titanic, Michaela. Oh! (laughs) For real! Okay, the old lady who, like, throws a little... (laughs) That's my favorite part of that movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's been 100 years... (laughs) yeah oh, oh my gosh, gosh. that's she, funny yeah she's a smoke show in the 30s yeah sure. she's oh a smoke my... show in titanic right? <laughs> as well she looks good she she looked great yeah yeah that's gloria stewart that's funny i know okay. i was so delighted yeah and you can tell it's the eyes special effects are completely amazing yeah. and let's talk about other ones because there's more yeah uh so for instance the ending is different in this one spoiler alert it's mm-hmm. 90 years old uh, <laughs> at the end, they catch him because it's snowing and they see his footprints and right. then they shoot him. And so you see footprints going out into the snow, which, by the way, look like shoe prints. They should be bare prints. Yeah. And the way they did that is they made a wooden platform and they covered it with fake snow. And then from beneath, they had um, shoe print wood blocks drop out. Cool. Which I thought was incredibly clever. Well and then he falls right and it's mm-hmm. you can see it's basically like making a snow angel with yeah. no with no person in it. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's really cool too. I think that's the Do you the know same. how they did that? I don't. I would assume it's the same thing because it doesn't drop out completely which is. No it's kind of like I bet you it's just shaped inside. Yeah. I Right like a little bit bowl like. Mm-hmm. I bet you that's how. And there are also a lot of wire effects but mm-hmm. it, Man, they did a good job. Yeah, you can't really see him. Mm-hmm. The only one that I did see as it was happening is uh, he gets on a bike. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> in that show I watched, Kill Count, mm-hmm. they say if you have HD or just with our modern yep. TVs, you can usually see the wires on the bike. Yeah. It's a track, so it goes... Yep you can see the track that it's on. Oh, it's also on a track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, it's just a funny movie. So, I like that they give time for humor. So, you know, basically when he takes him, he like Okay, fine. I'll 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 show you what you guys are you guys are bothering me. I'm going to take off my wrappings. And so he takes off all his clothes, and so he the we have this naked invisible man running around, <laughs> and then he causes mayhem, but he's really playful about it. So mm-hmm. for instance, people won't know he's in the room with him. So the police chief is trying to write a letter, and so he keeps moving his inkwell, and then he throws it in the guy's face. Yeah, and they have all these really amazing like whole like vaudeville faces. Right. We haven't even talked about the innkeeper, Mrs. Hall. Yeah, Una O'Connor. She's this tiny little lady, and she is so over the top Mm -hmm. because she was an Irish vaudevillian that James Whale specifically wanted for this role and he told her to like make the acting as big as possible and so she is so over the top she like pulls faces and she's like and, like she's screaming the entire movie yeah that explains so much because this whole time i was like why is she like and this? she's like the only one yeah. who's reacting that big it's, it's very incongruous with the rest of the people i think, in Jared, I think james will just loved her and was like big right? <laughs> una we're gonna do it again but this time bigger yeah basically my favorite line in this is also kind of playful right before he gets on the bike he like pushes this guy (laughs) out of the way and he's like how's that for a hairbrush george henry and i'm like that's a great insult i'm gonna use that now well he pushes a guy off the bike and then (laughs) later there's a group of people and he throws the bike at them yeah (laughs) but then he takes a broom and then he's like how's that for a hairbrush because he's like poking them with this big broom yeah And then he... My favorite thing. (laughs) Then he goes up to an old man and he's like, how do you do, grandpa? And he takes his hat off and he throws it in the pond. Yeah. (laughs) And then my favorite part is later, he steals a pair of pants from a policeman. Oh, yes. (laughs) And we see this 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 pair of... Skipping pair of pants. Yeah, this pair of pants skipping down the lane. He also has an an amazing maniacal laugh. Yeah. I I don't know how he even does it. And he's chasing (laughs) an old woman in horror and he's like... (laughs) We go collecting nuts in May, nuts in May, nuts in May. <laughs> while just chasing this lady down the road. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Oh man. And there's just a lot of like really funny body movements. For instance, mm-hmm. he just has a shirt on and he's just like waggling. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> I'm doing do all of the the movements, by the way. It's you can't really great. <laughs> I am enjoying a really great mime show right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, That's it's fun. fun. Yeah. Oh, and and one last thing. So at the end when they do kill him. Now that he's dead, he will reappear. Oh, yeah. So it is also cool how they did it. So it's like you you don't see anything in the bed except Mm -hmm. like his... The outline. Yeah. And then you see a skeleton on top of that. It fades into like his muscles. And then on top of that, you see his face. So then there's a couple sequels. Um, oh yeah, so it's really popular. Yeah. But none of them have Claude Rains in them. No. So there's The Invisible Man Returns, but guess who is in that one? Who? Vincent Price. Which <gasps> so is pretty great. good. Yep. Apparently he's a big sweetheart. Yeah. Vincent that's what Price. I hear. Apparently very sweet. Which is so hard to imagine with like his voice and his like caricature. Well, it seems like people who make horror are usually like really creative and really usually nice. Mm-hmm. I hear that about Boris Karloff too. He- Oh, but he's just, like, like the nicest guy? Yeah, it, I think <laughs> yeah. it's like... Only we, the nicest people can face the darkest parts of reality. Yeah, like Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. would always say, like, I'm a very <laughs> nice person, I just think of really horrible things. Yeah, exactly. So In all the Invisible, Invisible Man, man they're all different mm. people. It, so it's always a different story, a different world. Right. So the Invisible Man returns. Mm-hmm. With the, the Invisible Surprise. Woman. Yes. Which is not a horror movie at all, it's mm-hmm. a comedy. The Invisible Agent. And that was made during World War II as a propaganda film, mm-hmm. so he's not insane in this one. Because you can't be an insane spy. Yeah, how are you gonna defeat the Nazis? And then the Invisible Man's Revenge. Who is he avenging? I have no idea. Because it's All like not the same person. Right. No idea. Okay. I'm assuming that one is just a mayhem film. I haven't seen it. Yeah. But probably just a lot of things. Man, do yourself a favor and see the 1933 mm-hmm. Invisible Man. You will not be disappointed. And then if you like that, you have to watch. I'm a big fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, are you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Me too. You have to watch it because the very first song, Science Fiction Double Feature, goes through a lot of those old, tiny, like, movies, and Uh it has a line in there that says, Claude Rains is the Invisible Man. Oh, fun. Yeah. Ooh, Rocky Horror. Good good excuse to watch Rocky Horror, which is always a delight. It is. Oh. Classic. Just one last thing. When you see the Invisible Man, he is... Wrapped in these bandages, he has a fake nose on, Mm -hmm. like made out of wood or something. Yeah. But he doesn't have ear holes. Then, you know, when you see he takes off his glasses, there's just like tiny little slits that nobody could actually see through. So when Claude Rains was in costume, he was acting blind and deaf. Oh, he was breathing through a tube. (laughs) (laughs) That is dedication, wow. This was before actors had, and the same thing happened with Frankenstein. Like, they mm-hmm. really put oh, yeah. actors through the ringer when they were in these kind of horror costumes. So, hmm. he was acting blind and deaf. That is crazy. I did I know. not know that. I wonder if it's at certain different times, because certain times you do see his mouth moving underneath. Mm-hmm. Man. They would not do that today. No. And it wouldn't look Be- good today. Because of people like Boris Karloff, who was a founding member of SAG, which is the Actors mm-hmm. Union, who gave protections to actors. Right. So, thanks, Boris Karloff. Hey, and you know, all man horror movies <laughs> thank so, you for ruining your actors lives so that we could have safer <laughs> right safer movies now let's fast forward just a little bit and talk about some modern adaptations mm-hmm. there's the hollow man yeah. with kevin bacon <laughs> and josh brolin really yeah really <laughs> i haven't seen it me either Don't think I will. No, I'll pass. Then the really popular one that just came out with Elizabeth Moss. A lot of people saw it as the last movie they saw before the pandemic started. So that's when it was in theaters. Yeah, I saw that right then. Oh, it's really good. We won't spoil it. Just to say that it takes a different approach to the invisible man. Not insanity, um, but more of an abusive partner Mm -hmm. who uses invisibility to hold sway over others. Yes, and it's really good. The thing I watch on YouTube also made a great point that the invisibility cloak from Harry Potter comes from the idea of the invisible man. Eh, Yeah, I'd buy that. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would also like to say that the time traveling in Harry Potter comes from the time machine then. I know, thanks HG Wells. Completely unsubstantiated. I'm going with it. (laughs) There's some older ones that we'll just mention briefly. Um, Abbott and Costello do an entire... Oh, you're right. uh, Like meet the monsters... Mm-hmm. Uh, series. They must have been Universal as well. I, I think they were. So Because they meet Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. Did you watch The Invisible Man? I didn't watch it. either. In 1987, there was a movie called Amazon Women on the Moon where Ed <laughs> Begley Jr. plays the son of the Invisible Man who believes he's invisible, but he's not. Oh, that's fun. It's kind of fun. When does that come uh, out? In like 70s. 1987. Clearing like an Emperor's New Clothes. That's maybe. exactly what I thought of oh, when right. I heard of that. Yeah. There's a Chevy Chase movie from 1992 called Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And that's kind of it for my movies, except for one that I'll mention as both a movie and a book that you should read, which is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's a graphic novel by Alan Moore that pulls it. Why are you laughing at me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw that movie under protest under when duress. I was like 14. <laughs> I didn't want to see it. And then, you know, you go into a movie not wanting to see something yeah. because you think everything's stupid. Uh-huh. They get into like, a six car crash And <laughs> Shane West comes out Like unscathed So listen <laughs> Admittedly The movie isn't great I know But I was just like I'm done with this <laughs> I'm going home <laughs> I said, a friend's house Okay However the graphic novel Is real good Okay uh, You should probably read it It also pulls in Captain Nemo And Alan Quatermain And Mina Murray And Thomas Sawyer And Dr. Jekyll And Mr. Hyde So it's basically oh, Like fine. a monster mashup um, huh. you, Right <laughs> Yes. So I think you definitely should look into that one as well. Hmm. There's also some Marvel comics that deal with the Invisible Man. There's a Queen song, The Invisible Man. I didn't know that. And yeah. a Queen fan. Yeah. Oh. And purportedly, the Naruto character who can turn invisible uses the same technology as the Invisible Man. So Yes, this is one of our Halloween episodes. It's not scary. It's not. And I, I don't like scary, so I would not lie to you yeah. if I was scared I it's would just, tell you. It's good fun. If you have kids, watch it with your kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just... It's amazing. Oh, oh, my favorite part from the 1933 movie is when he lights a cigarette. Oh. He lights a match and then yeah. he lights a cigarette and then you see him smoke. And it's all and it's all so floating good. in the air and it it's amazing. Other things you should read? If you like The Mm -hmm. Invisible Man. That you can get from the Community Library Network. Absolutely. Like I said, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore. You should also read The Martian Chronicles and The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury. Both delightful, amazing books of short stories. You should also read The Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. Somewhere my dad is really (laughs) excited. Like, just, yeah, pumping his fist. Yes! Yes. (laughs) I would also recommend The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Really fantastic. Just kind of that eerie feeling Mm -hmm. is is really similar in that one. And then also The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oh, yes. Which I I think pairs really well with this. Which I have a pet theory that Paul Rudd somewhere (gasps) has a a portrait of himself that, you know, is dying. That's 100% true. Yeah. I buy that. That man doesn't age. No. He looks the same now as he looked in, like, his first movie. That's been our, our Halloween talk about The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Read it, watch it, delightful, not super scary, but has some really good questions about humanity and the nature of, mm-hmm. of uh, our societal relationships. And hey, I also want to give a thank you, which we haven't done before, to Michaela's husband, Nick, <laughs> uh, for composing our theme music. Yeah. And for doing this extra special spooky uh, rendition this yeah. month. Hey, no problem. enjoyed doing it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. And thank you guys for joining us once again. Yeah. The book isn't necessarily better. It would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because then people can find us easier. Yeah. A little more traffic for the library, which is never a bad thing. Yay, libraries. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We will see you next time with Frankenstein. Happy Halloween. Boo. mean like his works at that point were not really notorite notoritis Mm. (laughs) it's in the dead zone the dead zone the dead zone which is all we'll be talking about today say that five times fast Michaela. heavy hitter horror novels heavy hitter horror novels that's actually not too bad